my privilege to bring the scripture reading this morning prior to our message. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And if you would like to read along but don't have your copy of the scripture with you, there's a Bible handily underneath the chair in front of you. And it's um, located on page 240. I'm going to be starting with verse 32. And just a warning. I'm a Sunday school teacher, so I might not just give a straightforward reading of this. It might kind of take on a little bit more in my voice. So, <clears throat> And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail him because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth, and he's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This is the word of the Lord. I do encourage you to have your copy of scriptures open there to that text that was just read for us. Very familiar uh, story, if you will. Um, no doubt, if you grew up in church, you uh, saw, uh, you know, this story was taught to you in different times. Um, it's actually a, a story that even people with very little religious background will be familiar with this. It's become synonymous of the underdog winning. You'll see even times of an uh, maybe a basketball tournament or something like that. Well, this is the David versus Goliath type thing or something like that. So it's a very, very familiar text that we have before us here today. 
This book of 1 Samuel that we find it in is really a book of contrast. We don't have time to unpack all of this, but it begins with a lady by the name of Hannah praying for a child. And there's a contrast right there, the godliness of Hannah and then the ungodliness of the priest Eli at the time. Then we see some contrast with David and Saul. Saul was the first king. He shows up in this story here, and uh, he was the first king of Israel. If you remember, Israel had said, we want a king. They were set up as a theocracy where they didn't have a king. They were just following Yahweh. They are following God. Um, but uh, they looked around at the other nations, and they said, man, all of them, they have kings, and we need some that we can see and we can follow. And so they wanted a king, and, of course, there was a lot of, you know, heartbreak with that, with the prophet, uh, Samuel, whatever. But, uh, but Saul is chosen as the first king. He's, he's tall. He's handsome. Uh, the Bible says he's head and shoulders above everyone else, so it means he was probably uh, very tall in stature, but also he had probably one of those personalities that people just liked. Um, you kind of one of those guys. He struggled with some timidity, though, um, had a lot of problems. We see that he eventually the kingdom has to be taken away from him because he goes down a wrong path, and David then becomes the next king. And so there's a contrast of not just like Hannah and Eli, there's a contrast of, of David and Saul. Then, of course, here in our text, we have this contrast of David and Goliath. We have a, a shepherd boy who's a youth who uh, has not been battle-tested, if you will, uh, in war, uh, going up against uh, this great giant. And there's, you know, different ideas of exactly how tall Goliath was, but he was a big guy, okay? So he was, he was a really, really big guy. And uh, we see that by the description of how much his armor weighed and, and things like that earlier in the chapter of, that we just read. So, so this book here is a, is a book of contrast. And then here in this story, we see here that uh, David, he appeals as the lesser in the fight, as the one who is the weaker one, the one who is the underdog. He appeals to the name of God, Jehovah Sabaoth, okay? Now... This is not a derivative of a Sabbath. When I was younger, I saw this word here, Sabbath, and I assumed, I remember being as a teenager, seeing this word and assuming that it was just a derivative of Sabbath. And so he's a God of rest or something. That's not what this is. It's totally different. This means it's the, he's the Lord of hosts, okay, or, or armies, if you will, or of all the peoples or all the groups is actually more accurate. And so this is what David appeals to. So as he goes out there on that fateful day and he marches up towards the, the giant, um, it's the Lord of hosts that he's appealing to. And so that's who we're, we're going to look at today. We're going to look at what does this mean uh, to, uh, to, to, to follow the Lord of hosts. And, and really, the way we're structuring the sermon today is, is more of what should it produce. Okay, so if we're going to follow the Lord of hosts, what should it produce in our lives? And so there's really two main points, so I'm going to say this way. I'd summarize the sermon this way, that serving the Lord of hosts should produce humble confidence in each of us, okay? So that's, that's kind of going to be the framework of what we're going to discuss this morning, The serving the Lord of hosts should produce humble confidence in each of us, all right? Let me pray, ask God's blessing, and then uh, we'll, we'll, look, we'll look at this text a little bit closer. Father, thank you that we can pause now and ask for your guidance. We 
when we were reviewing the Apostles' Creed just a few minutes ago, we said that we believe in the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would enable uh, us to listen well, be sensitive to your spirit, to, to your, your prompting. And, and Lord, we also, we're, we're asking that I'd be able to communicate in a way that's helpful. Um, I want to communicate this text here that is in, a, in an accurate way. Uh, this is your word. This isn't our word. We want to be very respectful and reverent of it. We want to learn from it. And so as I have the privilege of teaching from it right now, I, I just pray that I would, I would do so in an accurate way, in a way that you'd be pleased with, but also in a way that would be very helpful to my own soul and to everyone's soul who is listening. So, Lord, we just ask for your, your enablement and your guidance because we need you for all things. We love you. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. All right, first of all, let's look at this idea that serving the Lord of hosts should produce humility. Okay, so if we're going to be someone who is following the Lord of hosts, this Jehovah Sabaoth, well, you know, what should it be producing in our lives? And first of all, it should be humility. Well, why is that? Because when we're talking about the Lord of hosts, we need to understand, first of all, that uh, this idea of the Lord of hosts is that he is the God over every host. It's not just, just like one group here. And so that's what's being communicated in this term. This term is communicating that God is overall, that there is nothing that doesn't fall under his jurisdiction. There's no group, there's no individual that is outside of his sovereign rulership. And so when we say that the Lord of hosts, you know, this should produce uh, you know, humility in us because he is over all. Now, what are some of the ways that the Bible uses this term or this idea that God is over? Well, first of all, the very first time we hear this, uh, this term is actually back in Genesis. And that's when he's talking about the stars, when he creates the stars. And all the stars are the host of the stars. And God is, is, is over all the stars, every one of them. He knows them by name. He placed them there, the Bible says. He knows what they're doing. He knows the vastness of them. I mean, how many stars are there? I mean, how many? I, I remember when I was a kid, and those of you, you know, most of you who know me, you knew that I, I grew up in more of a city context and more of an urban context. And so, you know, when I would look up at the, scar, the stars or the sky at night, uh, in my context, I would see some stars on a really good day, make out the Big Dipper, you know, and I would hear and read, you know, verses in the Bible would be like, you know, the, the number of stars or that, you know, particularly the promise to Abraham, I'll make you, a, a, your descendants, as many of the stars. And I would think, well, that's good. I mean, there, there's a decent number up there. But, you know, it wasn't that great, you know. Well, then I went camping one time. I remember as a kid, I went camping. And my parents, we had this little camping trailer that, that they got to use. And my older brother and I, we got to sleep in the back of the pickup truck and had a little cab over it. And I remember at night, we're sleeping back there. I remember I had to get up to use the bathroom. And so I open up the thing, and I'm crawling out of the back of the pickup truck. And I look up, and I have never seen so many stars. It literally like took my breath away. And I was a little kid and I was like, 
Did you see how many stars there were? I mean, Mom, there is a lot of stars up in the skies. And she's looking at me like, my son's an idiot, okay? <laughs> you know, of course there's a lot of stars up there. Of course there are. I'm like, but it's so many. I, I had never seen so many stars before in my life. And, you know, I'm, at one place that I read that just in our galaxy, there's at least 100, at least 100 billion stars in our Milky Way. And yet God is over every one of them. Over every one of them. He's a host over every star. Um, how big is our universe? We don't need to, I mean, I, I thought about trying to get pictures and showing this, but you get the idea. It's just, it's, it's mind-boggling how big our universe is. And God is over it all. Over it all. Keeps it by his word. Keeps it by, you know, he, he holds, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, the earth is his footstool. The Bible, and he's using all those uh, anthropomorphic ideas just to give us an idea of how big the Lord of hosts is and how great he is. He's, a host of, he's the Lord of the host of stars. We're not just stars, we're about angels. I mean, he, 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 he's over all the angels. And I don't know how many angels there are. I know that there's a lot. I know that uh, angels are powerful. I know that anytime an angel comes onto the scene in Scripture and they're recognized as such, usually people, uh, I, I don't say anytime, but I'll say often, people are absolutely terrified, okay? Um, angels are incredibly powerful. They're just a different being than us. They're created differently. They're not humans. Humans do not become angels. We're a completely different species that God has created, and angels are incredibly powerful. There's a story in the Bible. We won't take time to turn there, but in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 37, there's one angel that, that God uses to execute judgment, and one angel kills 185,000 Assyrians, one angel, just one. I mean, angels are incredibly powerful, and yet God is, is, is over the host of them. He's the Lord of hosts of angels. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 26? He says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? You know, when the humans were uh, railing against him and, and they were, you know, acting like they had control over Jesus, he's like, don't you think I could just, with one word, talk to my dad and my father, and he would just, boom, 12 legions of angels, boom, here we are. How many are 12 legions? Well, one Roman legion was about 6,000 soldiers. So you do the math, you know, 72,000 angels with a word, boom, Jesus it could have been Jesus aside. And if one angel can kill 185,000 Assyrians, what's the destruction that 72,000 can do? And yet, Lord Sabbath, he's Lord over the angels. Sovereign control, powerful over them all. Even the most powerful of the beings that he created, he is above those. Don't you see why humility should be instilled in us when we're following the Lord of hosts? And not just stars or angels, but also animals, the whole animal kingdom. We think of the power of a single lion, what a lion can do to someone. You go to a zoo and you love people that they're making faces at the lion and things like this and knocking on the window and things like this. I remember being there one time at a zoo and seeing a kid do this, you know, making, you know, faces and everything like this. And then the lion was right there and roared. And that kid lost it, okay? I mean, he, he wasn't big stuff anymore, okay? And there was, just, there was a separation there. What, what could one lion do, right? But what happened when Daniel went into a lion's den? 
God sent the angel to shut their mouths, and they had no power over Daniel because he's the Lord of hosts. Power of a lion, right? What about destruction of swarming locusts? The Egyptian plague, remember all the locusts that came through and destroyed the land. God is powerful and, and over even the locusts, the swarming locusts. Have you ever stopped to consider uh, just how big a whale is and just how massive those creatures are? And you see them, I mean, sometimes we know that whales are big and stuff, but if you start looking at diagrams and think, oh, these are just massive creatures, and yet the whale just responded to what the Lord of hosts told it to do in the situation of Jonah. It just did whatever the Lord of hosts said to do because the Lord of hosts is over all the animals. We could talk about the potency of venomous snakes and how that if we get bit by just uh, 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 certain serpents, we will die very quickly. And yet the Apostle Paul on the island of Malta, a venomous snake latched onto him. He shook it off and it had no power over him. Why? Because the Lord of hosts says that snake is not going to hurt my servant in this situation. The Lord of host. We could go on and on. I mean, there was a, a time where a donkey spoke, right? Even the natural limitations that animals normally have are no match for the Lord of hosts. And so uh, we have a situation where God used a donkey to speak and say, what are you doing here? I mean, God also used ravens to feed a prophet at one time. The list goes on and on. And why are all these stories in the Bible? Well, there's many reasons for them, but one of them is so that we can understand that God, he he truly is the Lord of, Lord of hosts over all things. And there's nothing that falls outside of his jurisdiction or his control. And so if we're following this Lord of hosts and we see his power, we see his majesty, we see his glory, how can we not be but humble before him, right? You see, this is why, and, and of course, you know, of course, humans, we have to add humans to the list here as well. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, we're told. We're told in Philippians that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And again, we just see over and over again how God is the Lord of hosts. And so here's, I just want to remind you of that. If I were to give you a quiz when you came in here today and said, is God the Lord of hosts over all things? I dare say every person would have answered that question correctly. But here's what I want to impress upon us today. What does that mean for us? It should produce humility. Absolutely humility. And that's what David's doing here. David here in this text, he is leaning on this fact that he is, is under God's control and he's leaning on the fact that God has set something up and this giant is going against that. And so why should we stand for this? And so it's this idea of that when I say humility, what I mean by this is that it's a recognition that God calls the shots and we don't get to call the shots here. Humility is a, is a theme in all throughout scriptures all throughout the scriptures, and the reason why is because uh, uh, God, the Bible says that God hates pride. In fact, he says that he opposes the proud. Now, why does he do that? He does that because when we're acting in pride, what we're doing is we're saying that we deserve the status of God, or we're act acting as if we have his abilities or his status, and we are we're uh, forgetting the fact that we are completely dependent upon him. And so he says, you are in a really bad spot if you're living that way. You are not going to make wise decisions. You are not going to do what's right. And so if you're, if you're living your life devoid of me in pride, you are going to make a wreck of everything. That's the reason why God hates pride so much. 
And so we have this example. I told you this is a book of contrast here. We have the proud giant here, the proud man who was shown his pride by being boastful and, and arrogant. But yet we also have the pride of Saul, of being cowardly and thinking only of himself. You see, pride can manifest itself in many different ways. It's not just the person who's always in front and being loud and obnoxious. That's a form of pride. But the reason why God hates pride so much is that pride really is the basis of all sin. It really leads to all things. Whenever we're we're tempted to sin, it's because we're thinking about our rule and our right rather than God's rule and his right. And so God is, he, he's, he's, he's the Lord of hosts. And, and what really should, do, uh, uh, when we think about it, when we meditate upon that, you know, how, how could we respond to pride to a God like that? One of the things that I love doing is when I get to travel to different places is I, I try to visit cathedrals. Now, one of the reasons for that is because, I mean, one, a lot of times they're just kind of famous places or whatnot. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. I've been able to have been to uh, Notre Dame in, in France, uh, to, in Paris twice, actually. Um, there's another one in Saint-Chapelle. Uh, recently, we were at Westminster Abbey. I showed you some pictures of that. And so there's just some uh, St. Giles in uh, St. Andrews. And so there's this, uh, uh, these, these, these buildings are just absolutely beautiful. And it's, you know, when you're in a place like that, to think, you know, John Knox preached there or, you know, or, or some other reformer or whatever. It's just a, it's a great thing. But one of the things that I love about doing, though, going there, is to study the architecture. And the reason why is not because I'm just this big architecture guy and really know anything about it. In fact, I really don't, okay? The thing that I appreciate about it, though, is that those cathedrals, one of the reasons why they were built in that way is they were designed to cause for two things. One, to cause you to look up. You walk into one of those cathedrals and the ceilings are so high and it's so vast that you can't help but look up. You just can't. You walk in you're like, holy, whoa. You know, you're just looking up there. That was by design to cause the people who go to worship there to look up, okay? Now again, I'm not getting into all the theology that is being taught in these places. I'm just telling you some of the cool things about the architecture and the design of it. And so you, you, it's to, to, to cause you to look up. The other reason why they did it that way is because they want to remind you just subconsciously that God is big and I am really small. You see, this is what the Lord of hosts should do. When we study the Lord of hosts, when we follow the Lord of hosts, there's no room for pride. There's no room for arrogance. There's no room for us to raise a fist at the Lord of hosts. This is the one who is over all the stars, who is over all the angels, who is over all the animals, over all humans. How dare we question him? How dare we say that we know better than him? You see, there's just no room at all for pride here. And so that's the first thing, that when we're following the Lord of hosts, humility should be produced. And if we're not, when we're thinking about God, if we're not uh, walking away with an idea of humility of, okay, you're in control, I am not. You are sovereign, I am not. You are powerful, I am not. If we're not walking away from that, we're missing out on this idea of that he truly is the Lord of hosts, Lord Sabaoth. But okay, so we have this idea of humility, and David here, he's expressing his humility through obedience. He's expressing his humility. Now, David wasn't perfect. Uh, There's plenty of other stories in the Bible here where David uh, messes up, but here in this situation, he obeys God out of humility. 
It would have been easier for him just to walk away. It would have been easier for him to leave. But, but he just, there was this burning love for God in his heart and a desire for God to be exalted that caused him to act and obey in that situation. So the Lord of hosts should produce humility. But it also should produce a second thing today, and that is it should produce confidence. Humble confidence, we said, was really where we're going after here. And this is something that I pray for often. Uh, there's a couple of ways I pray for this. I pray for humble confidence or holy boldness. Those are the things. Because there's a tension here, right? We want to be confident. We want to be confident in our, in our lives and what we're doing and our opinions. But yet we don't want to be proud in those. We want to hold those with humility. But sometimes in the effort to be so humble, then we lose all of our confidence. And so there's this, we got to thread this needle here, and this is what the Lord of hosts does. The Lord of hosts reminds us that we need to be humble, but then the Lord of hosts says, because I'm in control, because I'm powerful, because I'm this great, because I am over all these things, I'm, I'm over the host of angels and stars and animals and humans, you can have confidence in following me. So this is where we find that needle thread. Is, is this idea of humble confidence if we follow the Lord of hosts here. And so when it should produce this, it produces like even when no one else has confidence. In this story here, we have to raise the question, where was Saul? <laughs> where was Saul? He, was, he, he should have been out there. He should have been leading the troops. He should have been organizing this. He should have been leading the way. But that's not what he was doing. He was sitting back and, and, and kind of, you know, afraid. Everyone was afraid. We, we didn't read the section here, but it talks about how all of Israel was afraid of, of the, it says they were dismayed and greatly afraid, verse 11 of this text here. Where were the armies of Israel? For 40 days, twice a day, so for 80 times, this giant walked out and he challenged Israel and he mocked God. Yet, David shows impressive confidence here. Did you catch this when Cindy read this for us in verses 45 through 47? Listen to this. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. That sounds like a lot, okay? A sword, a spear, a javelin. But I come to you in the name of Lord Sabaoth, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. All right, you come to me with your weapons. I'm coming to you in the name of my God. All right, that's good. That's confident. But David doesn't stop. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all may know that there is a God of Israel, or a God in Israel. Do you think that maybe Saul and David's brothers were listening to him going, I want to tone that rhetoric down, David. <laughs> you know, all right, that's good. Don't poke the bear too much, though. <laughs> you know, don't get him too angry. You know, do you want, I don't know. I, the text doesn't say that. I can't say that that's what happened. But you got to wonder if Saul was like, okay. All right, but David has this impressive confidence. And you say, well, he was young, so of course he was overconfident. Okay, but it wasn't his youth that, or his strength that he was basing his confidence on. It was the Lord of hosts. And so even when no one else has confidence, the Lord of hosts, when we follow him, it doesn't matter. We don't need other people to, to validate following God. 
okay? It should be something we do on our own. Now, it's helpful to have other people, and this is the reason why we get together as a church, to encourage one another. But even if you find yourself in a situation where you're the only one, we can have humble confidence because the Lord of hosts is over all things. He's over the supervisor at work, okay? He's over the current laws of the land. He's over the social constructs and situations that we find ourselves in. He's over the physical limitations that you may have. He's over all those things, and so we can have humble confidence because there's nothing that God is saying, you know, that's a really, that, that's a doozy. I'm not sure what to do with that. God never says that because he's the Lord of hosts. And so even no one else has confidence, we can have confidence in the Lord of hosts, okay? But even when those closest to us impugns your motives. Look at, we didn't read this. Uh, this was earlier in the section that was read, but it talks about David's brothers because he's going to visit his brothers. That's how David comes onto the scene here. He, his dad sends him to bring some food. He's the youngest and sends us some food and says, let me know how your three oldest brothers are doing and then bring back word of how they're doing. So this is why David's even there. Now, Eli, uh, 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 Eliab, uh, verse 28, his eldest brother heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he says, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? You can just hear the sarcasm dripping here. I know your presumption and the evil in your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. See, David, he just says, why? what's going on here? How come... So um, uh, this is just a, a great day of technology. Here we go. Um, and so, so David, David says, uh, uh, he just says, well, why isn't anyone uh, going after him? Why isn't anyone uh, 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 fighting this guy? And that was the only question he asked. And his brother says, well, I know your motives. I know your heart. I know what you're doing here. And so, I mean, you think about this. His brothers, they were just, just annoyed with their, their little brother that he would show up onto the scene and kind of show him up and everything. But yet David, even in that, even in that moment, he was able to have humble confidence because his confidence wasn't found in his brother's validation. His confidence wasn't found in whether or not his brothers accepted him. His confidence was found in the Lord of hosts. And see, this is why it's so important for us when we study this text. This is more than just, oh, a young guy beating a giant. There's so much more going on here. There's so many layers to the story. And it's the Lord of hosts that is the key, the crux of this, and understanding where the power comes from. It's not so much about David. It's not so much about David's greatness. In fact, David goes to great lengths to show that it's not about him. But what it is about, it's about the Lord of hosts. And so even when uh, those closest to you impugn your motives, we can have confidence. So D David's brothers, and later in chapter 18, we're going to see Saul does the exact same thing. There's going to be victory here, okay? David wins, spoil alert. David wins the battle here, okay? Saul then gets jealous of David for this. Even when those closest to you reject you, we can have confidence in the Lord of hosts. That's what he's designed for. He says, I am so powerful. I'm trying to give you this confidence to follow me and to, and to, 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 love, uh, to love me and to serve me. Uh, thirdly, even when stakes couldn't be higher, we can have humble confidence in the Lord of hosts even when the stakes can't be any higher. I mean, here we have a situation here where Saul initially tells David, no, you can't do this. Nope, you can't do this. Um, and so and the reason what, and so what, what David then does to, to change his mind is he starts talking about um, a lion and a bear in verse 34. 
He says, a lion came out, and I, I killed the lion. A bear came out, I killed the bear. Okay? Now, Packer fans don't really think much about beating lions and bears. Okay? They think, this, well, that's easy, of course. Okay? But in this situation, in this situation, that meant a lot. Okay? That meant a lot. It's like, okay, we, we beat the lion. I beat this. And so, Dave, so David's saying, this is what I did. I, I, I stood up. God gave me the strength. God gave me the confidence. And I did this. The Lord of hosts did this. So stakes were pretty high then. But the stakes were even higher here. You think, well, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, a giant is and stuff. I mean, they could kill him. But, you know, a lion could kill David. A bear could kill David. The stakes were so high because in this situation, well, let me say it this way. In the lion in the bear situation, if David lost that battle, he died. Okay, that's bad. In this situation, he would also die, but all of Israel would be lost as well. The stakes could not have been higher. And David had confidence to obey God, to serve God, even when there was, I mean, this was, like I said, the stakes couldn't be higher because of the Lord of hosts. We find ourselves often where we know that God is impressing on us to maybe be obedient in a way, maybe to talk to someone about Christ, maybe to invite someone, maybe to stand up for truth in a situation that you find yourself in at work or in a social circle or with a family member. And the stakes seem really high in that moment. I could lose my job. I could lose my relationship with this family member. Now, again, I, I, I am calling for wisdom here. But at the same time, we have to say that sometimes we, we bow before the stakes being too high too many times. And there was never a situation where the stakes were higher in this case. But David, because of the Lord of hosts, because God is Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord over all things, he said, I can trust you. I can do whatever I, well, I can do. I can obey you. I can do exactly what I know that you want me to do in this situation here. And the results are up to you. And I think I know what you're going to do here. And I'm going to act in obedience here. You see, don't you see where that, that if, we, if we bow before those circumstances, we say that the stakes are too high, don't you see that we've just forgotten or, or, or we've lost sight of the fact that God's Lord of hosts? He is, he is over all those situations that we may find ourselves in, all those relationships. He is over every one of those things because he is the Lord of hosts. So we, can, so we can have confidence even when the stakes are at their highest peak. Uh, but also when safety nets and protections fail, we see here in this story here, no one else went out with David. He was all by himself. He had no safety net. The armor that was given to him didn't fit, so he put it off. You got the, I mean, the mental image of this is actually kind of humorous. You get this because Saul was a big guy, right? And, and David was a small guy. So you can just imagine him putting this armor on and kind of clinking around and things like this. And, and he's like, I can't do this. I can't. So he takes it off. No safety net, 
no protection at all. In fact, the thing that he goes out there, did you notice that the only thing he takes with him, he takes his sling and, his, and the stones, right? There's no shield mentioned. There's no defensive weapon at all. There's no defensive armament at all. There's no safety net. There's no security. There's no sneak attack. There's, this was not a situation like, it's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're send the little guy out there first and kind of distract the giant. And then we're going to come around, we're going to flank this way, and then we're going to sweep in and we're going to attack after this. There was no safety net here. This was, David, get out there, do your best, kid. You know, that's really what it was. But David went out there with humble confidence because he was serving the Lord of hosts. He says, I come to you not in my own strength, I not come to you in anything else. He says, you have your weapons, I have the name of the Lord of hosts. So even when safety nets and protections fail, in all of this, it comes down to this idea of representative battle. This is where we need to land, okay, before we make some application and then have the Lord's Supper. You see, what was happening here, what is most important about this story is that we have a picture of someone fighting on behalf of someone else. One person doing something for the benefit of many other people. And of course, we see this, okay? I mean, we, we, we see this as uh, of Goliath. He says, I am going to fight on behalf of Philistines. If, if I win, we all win. You send someone out on behalf of Israel, if they win, you all win. So it's this idea of representative battle where if one person succeeds, then the masses then our benefit from it. This is, this, is, this is the story here. This is the contrast here. David is representing Israel in this story. Later on, we're going to have someone represent us and is going to fight a battle for us, a battle that we could never win on our own and is going to be victorious, and we're going to benefit from Jesus of Nazareth. He is the one who represents us. This is the reason why we talk about the Lord's Supper. This is one of the reasons why we talk about the cross so much here is because that is pivotal to our understanding. It is pivotal to our hope of eternal life. It's pivotal to how we even live this life is because we had someone who lived perfectly in Jesus Christ, who lived this life perfectly. Then that means that his righteousness gets put on our account if we believe in him, if we follow him. And so it's representative. This is a substitution. This is a he did this in our place, and so then we have to follow him. And what is, should be produced of that? Pride does not get as produced from that. It's humility. When we recognize what Jesus did for us and how Jesus lived as a representative for us, then there's no way, there's no way that, that pride can come from that. Only humility can come from that. And so... This representative battle here, if David didn't go out as a conquering king, he went out as a loving shepherd, and Jesus came as a humble boy, as an infant, and lived his life, and then he, he died a death that he did not have to die. Do you realize that there's only one person who's ever been born that did not have to die, and that was Jesus, because the wages of sin is death. And so... Every one of us have sinned. We're born into sin. And so every one of us, we have death to look forward to. But Jesus, he did not. He did not have to die because he did not sin. He could have lived on forever. But yet, the Bible says he laid down his life. In fact, on the cross it says he gave up his spirit. He died. He experienced death. He, he was a representative in that place so that we could have eternal life. That's the beauty of the story. 
The beauty of the story is, is not, okay, you go and be David. You go be and, and fight your giants. I mean, that, that's, a, that's an application. But the true application is, is that where we're at in the story is we're actually Israel on the sidelines. We're Saul. We're scared. And yet Christ Christ, he's the one that went and conquered for us. And then what that produces, it produces in us the things that David, as a representative, he exemplifies this, this humble confidence. And so the Lord of hosts produces that in us, this humble confidence. And so i got to end with this, though. Um, sometimes God gives a really strong sense of what he's going to do. David had this here. He he. You know, this is a gift from God in that situation where he, he knew that, that Goliath was going was gonna to fall that day. Other times, we don't have that strong sense of what God will do. David, in many of his psalms of lament, would be one of those examples of that. But the point is this, is that the Lord of hosts is always our confidence, no matter our level of clarity about what God will do. There's one illustration I want to point to that before I, I land the plane here. Do you remember the story? Some of you will remember this right away. In the book of Daniel, there was a time where there was a king who set up a statue, and he said when the music was played, everyone needs to bow down and worship the statue, okay? And the punishment for that was to be thrown into this furnace, okay, then, and to be killed, to be executed by being burned alive, okay? So this was the punishment for it. Well, the time came, the music played, people bow down, they're worshiping the statue, but three people don't. Okay. It was their given names were uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of you may remember the story. What happened was is that there's this conversation where the king is so angry, but he says, I'm going to give you a second chance here. Bow down right now, and you can go free. It's interesting what they say. They say, we don't need to take time to think about this. They said, our God is able to deliver us. That confidence. But did you, do you know what they said next? But if not, he is still able. He's still good, right? That's what essentially they're saying, I'm paraphrasing. So what they did is they didn't know what was going to happen in that moment. They, they didn't have the same confidence of the outcome that David had in this situation. Yet they still had confidence to obey God even when they didn't know exactly what was going to happen. And that's where we need to land. That's where we need to be. We need to say, well, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You, know, you, you may have a situation at work or in your family circle or something like that where you need to, to, to speak truth or in a loving, gracious way, and, and the cost may be really high. I can't promise you that everything's going to turn out well, but what I can promise you is that the Lord of hosts always takes care of those who follow him. And so God is the God of hosts to this. Why did David step up? Why did he do this? What motivated him in this? It was because he loved God, which means he hated idolatry. Leviticus 26, 24, verse 16 says, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native. When he blasphemes, the name shall be put to death. This is why David was so motivated. He says, I love my God too much to listen to this go on and watch this go on. Because the Lord of hosts is over all. How could he trust God? He knew he could trust God. Impressive weapons were no match for the Lord of hosts. And so when we meditate on the Lord of hosts, we settle on this, as serving the Lord of hosts should produce humble confidence in each and every one of us.